Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Drew, and welcome to the Codeco Podcast. In this podcast, we'll keep you up to date with the latest app development tech talk. Now, here's the show. Thanks. This is the Codeco Podcast. Welcome to Episode 5 for Season 1. This episode was recorded on Sunday, the 11th of December, 2022, for release on Thursday, the 5th of January, 2023. This episode is sponsored by Split.io. I am your co-host, Susanna Skyragupta, with our host, Drew Freeman. Thanks, Suze. In this episode, we'll be discussing diversity and inclusion in tech and perhaps touching on a few uh, other things along the way. Our guest is Kaveh Balumbo. Kaveh is a founder of Talent Diverse, which is a European hiring platform that enables companies to engage, attract, and hire minority candidates. Uh, Kaveh has been featured in the South African edition of O, the Oprah magazine, as a super connector. And here at Kadeco is a contributor to our new professional growth pillar, where she recently wrote about, quote, why even successful software engineers need personal branding. She's also a founder of Black and Tech Berlin, and that's where she's speaking to us today. Kaveh, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. It is an absolute pleasure to have you. Um, there's just uh, a, a, a mild feeling of overwhelm from some of the accomplishments you've had. So it's just, it truly is a treasure having you on the show. Thank you. Yeah, you're amazing. And it's so exciting <laughs> that you're uh, participating with us here at Codeco because I know you have tons of interesting stuff to bring and we're, it's just, it's neat to be in your presence and learn <laughs> with you and from you. So Thank you. Before we get down to tech and, and everything else and diversity, please tell us a little about yourself, the family. Just let, let us know about Kaveh the person. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So Kaveh the person was born in the DRC, which is the Democratic Republic of Congo. And my family relocated to South Africa uh, in 2002. And relocated because of conflict in the Congo, of course. And so um, from that moment on, uh, I began my migration journey. And um, it was actually also the first time I just stepped out of my country. Um, And um, um, I basically completed my high school, my bachelor's uh, in South Africa as well. And in that very same moment is when I also began my advocacy work around uh, migrant women, refugee women, um, because it just felt like I was given a lot of more opportunities than other refugees and migrant women did not have and so my journey kind of started there um but i'm the second of seven siblings oh. <laughs> uh, yes and um i also have my own three kids uh 11 actually 12 9 and 18 months now um <gasps> so it's quite busy here at home yes yes That's crazy. How cool. <laughs> yes it's pretty cool and can be hard you know at some time as a parent and um um yeah we moved to Germany from South Africa uh, about eight years ago now. Um, and it's been really a great transition um, for us as a family and for me, myself, as the mom, the professional mom. And um, yeah. And, and dad is juggling the kids downstairs, right? In this very moment, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Good. So... I heard you on another podcast, and this was a couple years ago, talking about identity and your personal identity and how how you talk about that and how you think about that. So where are you at on that now? When you think in your head, are you 
Congolese? Are you South African? Are you a migrant? Are you black? Are you German? We're yeah, I'll tell you. Yeah. How does it fit? <laughs> and are you and also uh, so I'm um I'm the mother of mixed race kids and um or mixed culture kids. I don't even know how to say that. How do you think of the kids? Bicultural. We say bicultural. Bicultural. Kids. Yeah. And how do you mm-hmm. how do you think the kids think of themselves? Mm. So let's start with me. I think I began to uh, recognize my bicultural identity, especially when I moved to South Africa. Um, and it didn't hit me so much uh, harder because there's a few similarities between some cultures in South Africa and some cultures in the Congo. So it was kind of like, I'm home, but I'm not fully home. You know, um, and so the bicultural identity began there, but also because I got there in my uh, late teenage years going into my adulthood. So I still had to discover like who I am as a person, what do I like, you know, who I want to call myself. So that in itself was hard because I needed to bring back a little bit of the Congo into the person that I was now becoming into South Africa. And being in that space with people who are born there, they don't really understand why you need to bring your past self into this new environment because they have no relation to your past self. So the conflict really is internal (laughs) with with oneself. And I I can now add, yeah, I can now add Germany to the plate as well, you know. and in this instance, um, in Germany, you do. Um, so I, I am an immigrant in Germany uh, of African descent uh, in Germany, but I'm also not yet uh, Afro-German. But when I get my citizenship, I need to add that Afro-German next to my identity, you know, um, and it's going to be a mixed plate of <laughs> bicultural uh, experiences into one single person. And I, I love it. I, I think it gives me a lot of options, a lot of perspectives oh, that I yeah. can bring to conversations. Yeah. And I guess for the kids, mm-hmm. your littlest, for sure, mm-hmm. your littlest kid, um, they're Afro-German right now because they're just like growing up in it. And then how do you pour in the Congolese and how do they know about being in South Africa? You know, it's, uh, it's such, it's such interesting stuff. Yes. So my kids, we, we, they know that we were born in the Congo and the first to know that they were born in South Africa. So if you ask them, they'll actually tell you they're Congolese. Good work, mama. Yes. <laughs> um, so they, they, they won't tell you that they are Afro-Germans. They will tell you they're Congolese uh, and that they were born in South Africa uh, and now they live in Germany. Um, and so when they're in uh, other international settings with other children or families that are not from here, it's an automatic gel that nobody is asking the other person, like, where are you from? What are you doing here? Uh, when they step into a German environment, they actually just switch their language because you know kids don't normally ask themselves oh like oh yeah you're black or you're white you know at at a certain age like they don't ask each other um and so they just communicate as kids and just get on with what they have to get on games studies they don't really ask each other about their identities so i think there's they know where they're from where their parents are from um, I'm just like looking forward to see how their personal identity evolves over time. 
because I think when they start to become teenagers and start going to college, that's where things begin to like boil a little bit, you know. So I saw and I've heard from so I have two kids. I have a daughter and a son. My husband is Indian American. Okay. Mm -hmm. So my daughter, but not my son, experiences like she'll get into an Uber or Lyft and the driver mm -hmm. will say, where are you from? And then she'll yes. start going through. We've lived in many mm -hmm. different places in the United States. And so yeah. it's actually a difficult question for her because she always thinks like they're asking me which United States part of the United mm -hmm. States I'm from. That's never mm -hmm. what they're asking. And mm -hmm. then she'll answer and they'll drill down. But where are you from? But where mm -hmm. are you from? They want her to explain why are you the color you are where and why are your are. eyes and hair the color they are. And, mm -hmm. and my son doesn't get that, mm. even though they look very similar. But mm. one is a boy, one's a girl, mm. you know. I liked your statement about the fact that your son doesn't think about these things, that he's, he's young and he, and he basically gets on with what kids do. Because there, there is that, that oh, that, that childlike lack of seeing borders and separation and yes. color and and it's that thing that i wish we all could have just maintained was that that childlike there are no differences you're just another kid absolutely absolutely and i was going to add to what you were saying suzanne that you know in germany it's quite intrusive to ask somebody actually where they're from like if I get into an Uber, like that's not a question I'm expecting from the driver. Or if I go anywhere, like nobody tries to like cross that boundary if I don't know you. Um, so that's great that you're not asked anywhere, anytime where you're from. But also for people of African descent, there is that uh, here. At first sight, you are not from here. You are not German. So you're automatically associated with Africa, which for me is great. Actually, I'm from there, so perfect. Uh, but for kids who are Afro-German or other cultures, but I've never stepped onto their actual continental, actual ancestral homes, it's a bit hard because they, they believe they're from here, you know? Um, right, it's like this inherent othering. Yes, that, yeah. yes. Yeah, Drew, I remember when my kids were tiny, like toddler and like I think we're going for some photo shoot that you used to you used to go and like take the kids to these department stores to have family pictures done. It was a nightmare. I'm glad we stopped doing that. And, um, <laughs> but like as toddlers, they just like run up to other children and be like, let's play, you know, yeah. it's, it's, there's such a beauty yeah. of that. Like if we can get that into the workplace, like let's code. You I know? know, I know, I know. As adults, I think we just need to learn a lot of things from children. The world would be a better place if we did. Okay, so let's let's turn to to DEIB to uh, and for those who who aren't familiar with that diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, correct? Mm -hmm. Just wanted to make sure. Because we're, we're talking about the world from the, the children's point of view, but now let's talk about it from the adult point of view. How did this become a direction for you? Mm, mm. So I will say it's my life journey. Um, the moment I step out of the Congo, uh, we traveled to, through Tanzania, Mozambique, and then South Africa. And in all those places, I met people. 
um, who are very, very kind to my family. Never have I experienced xenophobia, you know, uh, as we travel through those countries. So my first experience with people who are not from the Congo was always positive. Um, and then um, from there also came this advocacy, because I see that there is a, there are experiences that you have um, that are specific to you once you start crossing borders and going to live in other places either for work or for particular reasons and those uh, experiences are not people who live in a specific country don't have those experiences and I felt I took it my responsibility to kind of advocate for anybody who's crossing a border um, because it just felt like especially for kids like I was following my parents I was following my mom so it was not my individual choice to leave the Congo to go to South Africa. And when I see kids being blamed or kids being denied the opportunities to go to school or to access any resources because they are immigrant, that really hurts me because they never really chose to be where they are sitting in that moment. It's their parents who thought, you know, it could be actually a great idea and a great thing for your future if we move to a certain, you know, country or, or location. And so that kind of like steering in my heart and say, you know, I, that's not right. I have to say this or we have to make this right for young people. Girls, again, and women, you know, have a, a, a different experiences. So that's how my journey of advocacy began. And it was particularly with women and immigrants because of my journey. Now, I would also say even right now, it's my journey to Germany that actually led me again to continue this conversation here now in technology because I was so surprised that I'm working for some of the wealthiest organizations that are actually struggling to embrace women or to embrace people who look like me. I was like... Why? And I just started speaking out again. <laughs> um, and that is just it requires a little bit of a different conversation for each topic. It, it always surprises me that the tech industry doesn't embrace diversity as much as you would think, being as though technology itself is a forward thinking, mm. uh, advanced um latest materials kind of thing. You'd think, well, we need to be advanced. We need to include all that is just advanced thinking. <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm kind of fumbling my way through this, but the, the, the takeaway is that I'm always surprised the tech of all industries is not as open-minded as, as you would think. Mm -hmm. So when technology is built, it's actually built to ser serve possibly the entire universe, like, you know, the biggest companies are serving people from across nations. What they actually don't realize is actually the people who are building this technology actually not representative of the people using the technology. And that's where we have, um, we start to have issues because the concerns of some of those people using the technologies are not putting into practice when building the tech because I'm not there. I'm not putting my perspective into the tech. And so when it comes to me, it has minus Cave's perspective, you know. I think that is, I mean, obviously you are very expert at this, but this is 
that is such a clear business focused answer to that Mm -hmm. question. Like Mm -hmm. if you want to create technology that you can sell to the entire world, you have to have the entire world involved in creating the technology or you will miss user needs. That goes beyond the, it's the right thing to do and it's immoral to do it another way, but also you'll sell better. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, in the, the going back to the DEIB, how do we, separate them into different things because they they all sound very much they're all very interconnected but i'm trying to understand Mm. where the differences are Mm. between diversity inclusion Mm -hmm. you know can can you talk about how yeah thank you yeah let's talk about it so diversity for me i define it as everything that makes me yourself and suzanne let's start here different and you can imagine the differences that we have you know, between ourselves. And so if you look at the entire planet, it is diverse, like the humanity in itself is diverse, you know, um, in terms of personality, in terms of perspective, in terms of religion, culture, sexual orientation, and many, many, many other aspects. So the world is diverse. There's no question about it. The Part about inclusion, and I, I don't know, I'll, tell, I'll talk about this quote, probably you've heard it, that diversity is to be invited to the party and inclusion is to be asked to dance. Oh, I love that. You know, and so you move from just having these photos of different cultures on your website to actually start bringing those people into critical roles in your organization that are shaping the direction of your business. You're not just saying, hey, Kaveh is there, but actually what Kaveh does is critical to our business and where we're going. So that's inclusion. And then you have to talk about belonging. I mean, belonging is the greatest, um, is the greatest aspect of diversity that we're failing on at the moment. And basically with belonging, we're asking that people will be accepted for who they are, that they will be deemed capable of the positions that they were hired for, mm-hmm. and that they will be given the respect that they deserve as a human being into the workplace. Um, And I'm not sure if you've seen or read the report, uh, the current McKinsey report on the state of women at work. We are dismally failing on keeping women at work because women are just feeling that the work environment is not built to keep them there. So they are not feeling a sense of belonging, you know, in the workplace. Um, And equity is basically when you distribute resources, when you do, uh, when you put your compensation packages, you structure them in a manner that everybody receives a pay that is fair and equal. You probably have heard of equal pay, equal work, equal pay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, equity. But you can also look at it in terms of, like, for example, working moms. You have a, a gentleman at work who's 
been there, never going to go anywhere because, you know, or live, I take maternity leave because their wife at home will take the maternity leave. And then you have Kave next to them who happens to give birth and has to go for like a year or six months. And what you're going to do is I'll you say, well, most organizations, will, of course, will pass on the promotion, the opportunities right. that come to the person who's there, right? But what about Kave and all the commitment that she has shown to our organization? Is there a place or a process that we can put in place so that she doesn't regress so much in her career because she gave birth? And that is equity. And of course, many organizations are not equipped to build up equitable processes that would ensure that both men and women are progressing in a way that you know, fairly towards um, themselves and their careers. I hope that was easy. <laughs> that, was that was fantastic. fantastic. Yeah. There's so much to unpack there and talk further about. Absolutely. Um, one thing I wonder, so a lot of our listeners are not going to be hiring managers. They're not going to be in the position where they themselves can fix it from a management standpoint. What can those of us who are kind of working in the tech trenches, what should we know? What can we do to create workplaces that are filled with belonging and feel good to everybody and are more diverse? Mm. I think, you know, at the end of the day, for me, it's really about how we relate to one another and how we treat each other. Um you know, for example, in the McKinsey report, it's reported that women are just by being in the workplace, nobody actually assumed that they're in a, a senior position. Most women, like nobody just assumes that you could be the CEO of your company. Nobody right. assumes that you could be the lead, you know, uh, in your company. So there are all these perceptions that we have about people about women, about other underrepresented uh, uh, people that we come with, you know, to the workplace. And so because of that, we relate to either women and people, uh, other ethnic background in a certain way. So we don't relate to everybody in a certain way. And this is what we have to work on ourselves to understand that, you know, I might have privileges that you don't have. You might have privileges that I don't have. And when we come together, those might be at play and affect how we treat each other. So I would say, be nice. It, it seems simple, but the truth is be nice to one another, be kind, be uh, a person that reflects a little bit, especially in conflictual, you know, uh, situations, because that's when mm -hmm. things kind of like heat up a little bit. Like, you know, I, that was so, um, I was so hurt in that meeting and I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna say what I need to say, which will end up being hurtful to the other person or might even result in the other person being fired simply because mm. there wasn't a common ground upon which we relate, which helps us understand that we're different people. You know, and it's not bad to be different people who thinks in different ways, you know? So I would say be kind to one another, treat each other with respect, understand that, you know, your perspective is your perspective and I can't change another person's perspective. And that's okay. Unless, of course, it gets toxic, then you need to talk through it. We'll have more of the Cadeco podcast right after these words from Split.io. 
This podcast is brought to you by the Split Feature Management and Experimentation Platform. What if a release was exactly how it sounds, a liberation from constraint, a moment of relief, an escape from outdated processes, tedious software changes, and the slow, painful deployments that hold back product engineers? Free your teams and your features with Split. By attaching insightful data to feature flags, Split helps you quickly deploy, measure, and learn the impact of every feature you release, which means you can turn up what works, turn off what doesn't, and give software innovation the room to run wild. Now you can safely deliver features up to 50 times faster and exhale. Split feature management and experimentation. What a release. To reimagine software delivery and propel your teams forward, start your free trial at split.io slash Codeco. And we'd like to thank Split.io for sponsoring this episode of the Codeco podcast. Uh, to put, uh, I've been thinking about this question, and one of the things that, that struck me as, as a mechanism for the in the trenches or the single contributor is to look into having what are known as skip one meetings. Everybody will typically have meetings with their supervisor. Skip one meeting is to have a meeting with your supervisor's supervisor. It gives you a chance to both talk about the relationship you're having with your supervisor, but also to be able to talk about your colleagues with somebody who is probably of a hiring manager stage and to say, well, this person's been doing a fantastic job. And that way you get more um, accolades for people who are on your level. Uh, one of the other diversity issues that I, I often see in a lot of diversity training is if you're seeing problems don't be silent. Speak up about them. Speak up on, on the behalf of others who may be of that mentality that uh, me speaking up won't do any good. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I am forever in this position of being in the backlog. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it's the, the phrase was use your privilege. Exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. I've heard that too. Exactly. Hmm. And I wanted to point back to what you said about speaking to the supervisor of your supervisor. That is such a great idea if the hierarchies are quite open. And uh, I've had a conversation with people who are struggling with their macro-aggressive managers. And um, mm. they know who the manager reports to, but are afraid to go to that manager, the manager of their manager, because the line of communication states that you have to go first to your manager before you can go to, you know, to the manager of your manager. And so um, I think leadership has to kind of open the space to say, you know what, you're at you are being managed by somebody else, but there's also room that you can schedule a meeting with the manager of your manager and just have a, um, an honest conversation. But there have to be a lot of trust uh, in that workspace for that to happen, that it doesn't backfire because people don't want to be in situations that their manager returns and say, oh, you went to my boss and say so-and-so, and I still have to deal with you, you know? So there has to be some safe space 
uh, structure right. uh, in in the yeah. organization for that to succeed. Now, I suppose I'm very lucky right now that I'm in a a wonderful company that has a, a fantastic diversity chain. I have a, a fantastic every tier above me, at least up into the nosebleed seats. Um, uh, where everybody is just wonderful, you know, full disclosure, my managers are great. Um, but yeah, if he's listening in, I don't want to think I've gone to the skip one to, to, to bypass it. <laughs> he, he's great. Um, but, but there's also that concept of no retribution that a lot of companies are also now trying to embrace. It's just that concept of, well, I've said something, you're not going to come back against me for being open and, and disclosing. So you really, I guess when you're looking for a company, you want to ask those questions. They always, they always give you that, that option during the interview. Do you have any questions for me? This is the time to ask, do you have a no retribution clause? How is your diversity? You know, don't be afraid to ask those questions because you're interviewing the company, not just them interviewing you. Absolutely. So let's skip ahead to that. Let's see if we can, what, what should, when you're interviewing, when you're looking for a new position, how do you guide the people you're working with, Kaveh? What should people really be asking? And particularly if you are coming from a non-traditional background, how can you really shake out the truth about whether a company is going to be the right fit for you? So I'll be honest, I've been in talent acquisition for years. And of course, we want to make a good impression, you know, first time, second time. And you wouldn't know all the deep details of an organization just from that maybe one week or two week, two weeks conversation. Um, but that's why we have three months or six months notice period so that we can learn about each other. However, when it comes to your manager and the people you're going to work with directly, I recommend asking questions such as, what are your values? What's your management style? How do you communicate with your team? What, is the, what, what are some of the boundaries that you hold uh, as a team? Um, and how do you revert if those boundaries are crossed? Because these are ways in which you can find out, okay, my manager is a no-go. Like you can't cross this line with them. They have a particular way of communicating. They have a particular way of managing people, which speaks to my values in return. And you can feel this in conversations. And a lot of times people are like, oh, yeah, you know, he looked, you know, across the room when I asked that question and I'll just like ignore mm. it. Or, you know, he was rude in answering or she was rude or she actually said, no, actually, I actually don't know. You're going to have to discover when you come here. Like those are like signs for you to know that, okay, stuff is going down in this organization I, and I have to be prepared to discover what are those stuff are. But with great, when you have great questions, you can tell when somebody is being honest in a conversation. And you know how they tell you, choose a manager, not a, a company or not a job because they okay. kind of determine the experience that you're going to have in that company more than anything else. Um, and throughout the interview process, you've been given the chance to ask over and over um, the questions that will bring at least some kind of peace in your heart that you're going in the right place. 
But like you said earlier, like a lot of candidates don't have this confidence and they always walk through this process as if somebody is doing them a favor instead of them recognizing that I'm actually coming to contribute my skills and expertise to your organization, which will move you forward. So in a way, you have some power and leverage that you're bringing forward. And I would love to remind you know, people that are listening to carry that with them. Carry yourself as a consultant until further notice that you are the experts in the room for that specific position and nobody else knows how to do it better than you. Oh, that's, such, that's fantastic. <laughs> you know? That's really great. And Thank I you. really like how you're advising, you know, don't don't ask like, so how are you guys on diversity? Ask like broader questions and then carefully watch. Are they answering or are they like looking at their phone? Are they, you know, are yes. you making them uncomfortable with these broader questions? And then just exactly. get, and something that we're, that we often mess up, I think, as women mm-hmm. is like, actually trust your gut. Don't, exactly. don't let that voice like, oh, they probably mean well. Oh, I'm imagining it. Oh, it's for the best. No, if you have that spidey sense, like, mm, I don't know about this person. Listen. Yes, they mean it. <laughs> They do mean it, honestly. Um, and also, uh, one question I always ask: Why should I work for you? Yeah, it's may as well be direct. <laughs> well, and also that recenters the power. You know, yes. like the, the reminding yourself and the other person. Okay, so I actually have a choice here. No. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And of course, you'll meet leaders who are not happy with that question because they've been in the mindset that they're doing you a favor and everybody else. But it's also time for them to learn that you are actually coming, you are thinking about this very seriously, and you want to know why should you get into this? Now, the you'd mentioned earlier about the taking time off for maternity leave, but mm. now we've seen the tech industry, especially because of COVID take a huge turn into remote work. Mm-hmm. Is remote work in your opinion, helping hindering diversity efforts? So I will say it's a 50, 50. So what we've seen is that a lot more women or parents are happier that they have this flexibility to work remotely. But particularly for women, working remotely has meant increased household chores. Um, And so this is what we kind of like have to work through with, like going a bit deeper than just say, oh, yeah, remote help work helps cavey, but at the same time, I'm remote and I'm busy also managing a lot of the household chores that I would have had to deal with only after work if I was to go to the office or I would have somebody come over and help me with, um, you know, so this idea that uh, for women, things have gone easier. They actually are becoming a lot more worse because of these household chores. And of course, that per se is not uh, 100% the responsibility uh, of the companies, but it's also uh, a space where we just have to be mindful and kind of consider now what kind of perk would actually be much more useful for the woman or the parent, you know, 
in this case, I'm not looking to uh, for a, a personal development budget, but maybe I'm looking for a, an aftercare budget or budget that I can use for house help and babysitting. That's what will be helpful, you know, for me. That's a really good response. That would have been great in the day. Mm-hmm. That would have been amazing. You know, um, and so again, you need a, a, a human resources team that is thinking beyond what meets the eyes, but actually try to dig deep and see what is actually your real experience at home in this moment that we're working remotely. What is it like? Women will tell you, you know, the question is, will you listen and try to help? I'd love um to tap your experience a bit more generally as somebody who runs a recruiting firm, has been a recruiter for many years, about where we're at globally in the market and where we're at. Certainly, we feel in the U.S. it feels there's lots of talk of impending recession. There's been major layoffs, obviously, at Twitter, um, but lots of places. So it seems like there's lots of skilled devs in the market. Um, how can people looking for a job right now, what, how are they going to be most successful in this market? And I'm speaking particularly for, you know, people looking for dev jobs. Absolutely. So I was just thinking about this a couple of days back. And I think what people need to think about is building careers. And if you have been laid off, I think it's an opportunity to rethink your direction and how you relate to work. A lot of the times people are just looking for jobs. And as you can see, jobs come and go. At any moment in time, my job can go, your job can go, the other person's job can go. But what does that mean? for you as an individual. Does that mean that you cease to completely be able to function because your job has gone? It could be when you're thinking only about getting a job or doing a job. But when you start evolving to building a career, your career can take you in many different directions. And that is really taking particularly your skills. For example, if you're a developer um, and you're, for example, you know, you're a great coder, a great backend engineer, your job suddenly ends. I, I for sure know that you're going to get another backend software engineer position. But is that it? Will you be going from one job to the other to the other? My advice is to find the other interests that you have. And start mm. tapping into those and see how this skill that you so well have developed can be tapped into that other direction. And so start evolving, like, you know, pumping a lot more air about the work that you do and where you want it to take you. Once you start having that picture, you have many options. You don't have just this option of being a backend developer here and it's going to finish and then you're going to be so sorry about yourself and then you're going to get into the other job. If you had different perspective and different angles to which you can apply your skills, then you will be much safer and probably I would say content 
with your yeah. work life and your career. Um, so you could, for example, be volunteering at a school or a nonprofit. Um, you could be mentoring a new startup that just starting, you know, with their ideas, but they don't know where to take it. But you do this while you're working. Don't do this when your job has just ended because your mind is scattered, you know, and just start to think really. What is beyond my software engineering skills or where do I want to take that as an individual? And the bubble will start growing and growing and growing. And before you'll know, oh, wow, I have so many possibilities. I mean, for software engineers, there are so many boot camps looking for mentors, for example. You know, there are so many schools looking for, you know, teachers or speakers who can come and talk about software engineering to their students or just how to solve particular problems using technology, you know. And so I think it's to think about the possibility. What is possible with my expertise? And the opportunities are endless. And to do that, when times are good, ideally, yes. to do that when when you are employed and not when you're in that that spiral of, oh, my gosh, I just lost my job. Absolutely. Because it's mentally um, disheartening and you, you just want to get into the next thing. And so do this play with your skills when you're happy. <laughs> I wish we had time to play the entire interview for you, but if you'd like to see everything that we discussed, you can watch it on YouTube in just a few weeks. Kaveh, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on today's show. Um, I know there was other things that we talked about before the show that we were like, oh, we need to save this for the show, but this has just been so much wonderful information, and and you have just been such a wonderful guest. Thank you so much Thanks. for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. I look forward to re-listening. Um, and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, and to have it on my website to show it to people because there's always Excellent. like, Thank a, you. and I love the fact that you ask questions that are not related to work because people always discover me in different forms depending on the conversation that I have. And there isn't like two podcasts where you'll find the same information, which is great. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's fun. Seeing and getting to know the whole person. Well, if there, um, I look forward to reading more uh, contributions in as much as you have time um, on Codeco. And, uh, you know, I'd love, I will, I, I'm a fan. So if there's ever a chance I get to see you in real life, I will be there. So. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It was wonderful to be here. You're both such great hosts. Um, so calm and so personable. So thank you. Thank you. We appreciate that. Truly our pleasure. So you can find Kaveh online uh, through Twitter, as long as Twitter remains, at Kaveh Bulumbo. That's, now let me see if I get this right. It's K-A-V-E-B-U-L-A-M-B-O. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> you got it. Susan on Twitter. It's Sus Gupta. I am Podcast Drew. Our next episode, we're going to talk about balancing that software development life with 
being a parent. We have a Via, Par Via Fairchild and who was our other guest that was coming in? Jeff Rames? And Jeff Rames, Jeff Rames. Um, resident author here at Codeco, will also be joining us. Um, so we're looking forward to that. That'll be up in another two weeks. Um, until then, we will hopefully see you. Well, we will definitely see you again. Until then, we will see you in about two weeks. Um, Thank you so much for enjoying the show. And that's a wrap. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to the Codeco podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to leave a rating in your favorite podcast app. See you next time.